on the line now, I am joined by Brendaniel Weir, the author of the book Tane's War. Uh, Brendaniel grew up in Auckland and at the age of 16, after inadvertently coming out by taking part in a gay rights march, he found himself homeless. But Auckland's gay community became his surrogate family and in 2015, while lecturing at AUT, Brendan was invited to help create the same same but different readers and writers festival. He also facilitates writing seminars as part of Auckland's Pride Festival and today he is joining us to discuss his recently published novel Tane's War which explores themes of identity, marginalisation and family across different decades. Kia ora Brendan. Kia ora Waveney, how are you? I'm great today, how are you? Oh not too bad, despite the Wellington weather, I'm living in Wellington now and uh for once we've had this miraculous summer, but uh, today uh, winter is finally biting. It is winter in Dunedin today as well. Yes. What are you doing in Wellington at the moment? Um, I'm living here briefly. My partner has decided somewhat belatedly in life to uh, return to university and uh, complete oh, a master's degree. So we've moved down here for two years. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Now, I read your book this week, and I know you've based this in part on your own experience of your first relationship with an older man. Could you have shared this story when you were younger, or has it been easier to do so now that the social context in New Zealand has shifted? It was, yeah, it would have been impossible for me to contextualise it and really understand it uh, when I was younger. It was, it is the distance uh, that time has offered me that has enabled me to really step back and recognise what elements of my own past um, sort of have defined me or driven me, if you like, and it was recognising that in a way that... Um, it was actually when I very, very, very first started writing the characters in this book, I did so um, in an almost um, therapeutic way, mm. sort of writing about my own past, in particular the character Briar, who, you know, the letters BR and the name are a bit of a different <laughs> way, I have to say. But, um, yeah, there are, I think every author's probably first full length, or every novelist's first. Uh, work uh, tend to incorporate some elements of authorial voice or direct authorial experience. Mm. It's just we we write what we know, and certainly you know writing is a learning curve. Every writer is always learning and and improving their craft. And you know at the beginning of that journey, you do tend to draw very heavily on your own direct experience. Yeah, and Tane's War not only paints the challenges facing gay men during wartime and peace, um, but the relationship also has that overlay of being an affair between Pākehā and Māori lovers. And you've experienced this cross-cultural scenario yourself, haven't you? I have, in actual fact. My very first uh, boyfriend, um, well, my first serious boyfriend, or serious for me, mm. in any case, um, I was, you know, barely more than a teen myself, uh, as you are. Uh, and uh, he was... Well, he was almost 10 years older than me, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and I, as, I, as I've said to a number of people, I um, hasten to add that this was a connection driven by me. I was definitely <laughs> facing uh, the connection. Uh, but uh, he was a Māori man, actually, um, te araha, um, and Aroa, and he was um, someone who ended up teaching me so so much yeah i was young and naive as you are at 16 17 mm. and um he really enabled me to sort of step out of the shadows as a gay man as a emerging gay man and to really embrace who i was Be, not just understand and recognize my identity i'd already done that 
um, but to take pride in my identity, to stand up and hold my chin up and to say, no, this is who I am and I'm going to fight for my right to do that. Um, you know, this is, this, is a time, um, this is a time when HIV was just sort of um, becoming a reality in right, uh, right. media in New Zealand, you know, and he really, you know, time to be completely honest, so it's okay to say this on, on radio, yeah. uh, that safe sex wasn't um, really a thing at the time. Yeah, it wasn't course. really driven. And he was ahead of his time in that he taught me to take care of myself, look after myself, protect myself in all those ways. Um, and in some ways, I guess, as short as that relationship was, I think it lasted six or eight months, um, you know, he set me up for a life of looking after myself, of respecting myself, mm. most notably, and that was the biggest single thing that I learned from him. So, yes, I have, I have experienced that to some extent, and I was so naive. I came from about the bicultural realities of New Zealand. I was brought up in... Uh, um, a community that was sort of very isol- a little bit isolated, um, very white, very middle class. Mm. Um, and my parents, bless them, were actually pretty good um, in terms of trying to embrace things that are outside of um, the norm. My little brother was spina bifida. That was a difference we had to live with. Yep. Otherness that sort of uh, was a part of our family. Um, but, yeah, as far as cultural difference was concerned, it was just little or no opportunity to experience that or to take part of that in Buckland's Beach in the 1970s and 80s. Mm. So, you know, that was such a huge step for me. It was something, to be honest with you, that it always fascinated me on. Yeah, yeah, of <laughs> right, course. Right from the word ago, as a young man, I'd sort of looked at the, the big muscly boys on the, mus- on the, the rugby field and thought, hey. <laughs> <laughs> it caught my eye. <laughs> and do you think your own experience of exclusion and disempowerment was enough to give the character of Tane the substance that he required, despite forms of marginalisation not really being identical in experience? That's a very good question and one that there is really no easy answer for. I all I could do was what I could do as far as that was concerned. Mm-hmm. I certainly, um, you know, I at a certain point in the process, I sort of stepped outside of it and went and uh, talked to others, talked to people who did have direct experience, most notably uh, that the work evolved initially as a um, the creative component, component of a master's thesis in creative writing. Oh, fantastic. Um, and my two mentors, one of my mentors was... Um, James George, a Māori man who's um, an award-winning novelist and just an amazing, incredible teacher. Um, and I was able to sort of sit down with him and talk about the evolution of this character and at what point, um, you know, I really needed to bring in a more Māori voice or sensibility. Um, and, yeah, one of the things that evolved from that was me stopping the process and going and... Um, changing the focus of my research uh, and because all of these things you, if you're doing anything historical like this you really, even when it's fictional you really need to be starting from a, a grounding of solid research uh, but also um, as part of that research I actually finally took my first Maori language paper oh, fantastic. which um, was something I look back and I think why didn't I do why, why, why weren't we doing that at school yeah Honestly. yeah yeah I agree um, it just astounds me but that said I was educated in the 1980s I went to a, a conservative Catholic boys school at the time so you know you could sort of study maths and science and rugby or rugby or rugby and <laughs> oh, oh and rugby <laughs> 
Um, I mean, just to you know have a conversation about that for a second. I mean, I was I was educated in the early two thousands, and I didn't have Maori language classes either. So wow. you know, yeah. Well, you see, that that says to me perhaps how far we've come because the um, narratives in media and in education now are not should we have classes. Instead, we're finally arguing, you know, what what point should those classes cut in? You know, to what level should we have those classes? There's no question now that there should be some te reo in um, the New Zealand education system. The arguments now are just around when, where and how. Yeah. Um, I mean, so we're we're 20 years behind, but we're catching up. Yeah, exactly. And at least we are catching up, unlike the likes of Australia and other countries. Oh, don't start me. Oh, I know, I know. Um, and to ask, I mean, the big, important, kind of scary question is, is, have you received feedback that the character you created is crossing the line of cultural appropriation? See, I decided rather than waiting for that um, to rear its head, um, I would, because um, it needn't be an ugly head, uh, I would sort of embrace that myself. Mm. I was an article oh, about three or four months ago now when I... When the book was released, or shortly after the book was released, uh, that was published uh, on um, uh, oh, was that woman's stuff? I'm sorry, I can't remember now. That's I, okay. I just lose track. Uh, on oh, spin-off, sorry, that was on spin-off. Oh yeah, yeah, the spin-off yeah. article it was fantastic. Yes, um, and in that I sort of uh, presented where I was coming from and asked that question of myself, if you like, mm. um, and you know. It shouldn't be a prickly question because it should be something that we're proud that we talk about and automatically talk about and are proud to talk about. Yeah, that that at article titled yeah, "Can Pakyals as Right Maori Characters" is that correct? Yes, cool, correct. Cool. So, uh, at some point, I guess I accepted that I am living in a bicultural nation, mm-hmm. and as such, I personally feel that so long as you are coming from a position of respect. Um, and ideally from some knowledge. Um, and I, I find it hard to, to separate the two. I think respect begins with knowledge. Um, that, uh, in my case anyway, it was certainly, I believe, appropriate for me to do that because I, well, I didn't necessarily initially begin that journey uh, for that character from that position. I certainly finished it yeah. from that position. And therefore... You know, speaking as a gay man, I have over the years found myself somewhat infuriated when I've seen gay characters used as sort of space fillers, as you know, a little tick or acknowledgement by the author to the idea that they are sort of with it or they're liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to see characters or the gay experience used that way would frustrate me. And I, you know, it would have been incredibly hypocritical of me to have done the same with a Māori character. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, there aren't many novels where the lead protagonist is a gay man. No, (laughs) no. And I did wonder whether that would uh, restrict or reduce my audience particularly, and I suppose by definition it inevitably does. One of the very first uh, reviews that came back, which was a positive review, I hasten to add, but was from a man... (laughs) Um, writing for a more conservative newspaper who said, oh, I've never read a gay novel before. Was <laughs> um, <laughs> he went on to say, but actually, it just was like any other novel. And, oh, actually, it was quite all right. Um, <laughs> oh, so, so there you are. 
Although having said that, it's interesting getting the reports back from the publisher, which I get very indirectly, you know, as mm. the author, it's sort of the last person to get these, but um, uh, that the readership has been, the two bigger groups have been younger people. So, yeah. And I, I, I do admit I initially envisioned this book as a young adult novel, and it grew into something more, but it's still got a foot clearly in young adults. It does read like that, yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and uh, But uh, women of quite a wide age range wow. uh, seem to be responding positively to it. So, Why do you um, think that is? Well, I don't know. Now, somebody quickly jumped to the conclusion that, oh, there's a romantic element to it and women are more likely to read romance. And I was like, oh, that just sounds like a... Oh, don't even start me on that. Yeah, it <laughs> trivialises it. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm in the midst of writing an article as we speak. Okay. About, um, the disempowerment of women's literature. But um, in any case, uh, I think the idea of being marginalised and particularly of struggling with sexuality and with being approached in a sexual way um, perhaps resonates more with women. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. Um, so perhaps that's why. I don't know. Um, I also am a firm believer in goes to reader theory or... Um, uh, in the idea that every reader will have an individual and unique response to any work of literature and that every response is equally valid because they're always based on personal experience. Mm. And do you think in writing this book you're helping to continue to mainstream and minimalise the stigma of being gay? I hope so. It was certainly something that I... It was an intention uh, mm. in the book, Um and drawing to go back there, you mentioned the parallels I draw between marginalisation of um, gay men and marginalisation or racial marginalisation yeah. for Māori in particular in this country. They were parallels that I very intentionally incorporated into the book. Um, you know, as I've said uh, on a number of occasions, it's interesting in the book, and it's one of the minor uh, minor themes that is woven through is the, this idea that marginalisation takes many forms and that isn't it interesting in that case that um, a character can choose to hide some forms of marginalisation but not others Yeah. Um, which you know can make a difference in the way that they are perceived in the way that they are dealt to or with so yes I like to think that um, my voice will be one of the many uh, voices out there I'm you know hardly alone there is a lot of amazing work being yeah. done you know stand on the shoulders of amazing people like uh, Peter Wells and Witte Hamaira yeah. uh, who have really done the groundbreaking work. So, but you know, I like to think that there's a number of authors out there, including my humble self, who are <laughs> uh, trying to sort of continue to normalise. I, I, that's a problematic word, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I'm going, I'm going to use it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, to normalise um, LGBT experience um, a huge part of this for me was having been in research my own family history. Mm. My family is from Otago. In fact, um, originally the Weirs arrived in Dunedin in 1886, oh, wow. I believe. And uh, actually, I would, did most of my research at the uh, Otago Settlers Museum, which is a fantastic institution. Oh, wow. staff, they were incredibly helpful. Yeah. Um, but discovering that I had two great uncles in World War One, um, and on the other side of the family actually a great a great grandfather who um, ran a meat processing plant of some sort I wasn't sure I couldn't quite fathom whether it was a drying plant or a sipping <laughs> plant or a, but um, which ended up 
in the last two years of the Great War and actually dedicated specifically to supplying the expeditionary force. So oh, wow. you find, I think most Kiwis will find that they have a direct connection yeah. with the Great War, I mean, you know, with the World Wars, and in particular World War One. It's one of the reasons that the ANZAC sort of day celebrations continue to resonate down generations. It keeps surprising people that, oh, how come this new generation still seems to relate? Well, that's why, because I think we all, or the majority of New Zealanders, I would guess, have some direct connection if they care to look for it, if they choose to go and look for it. And I think it's a very powerful thing to do so. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And where can our listeners today buy a copy of your book if they're interested? Well, that's a good question. Um, it's, I should sit here saying it's in all, all good bookstores. Uh, <laughs> Unity Books, I know, has it, but I'm not sure there is a need in Unity. No, in, there isn't. Once upon a time. Um, so I, it's available on Whitcalls. You oh, can cool. go to your Whitcalls and ask. Um, if they, haven't, they should have it on the shelf, uh, but it had been... I, I'm thrilled to say it has been selling fast, so but they will get in, get one in for you if they don't have it. Right. Uh, you can also buy it online. Uh, just look up Tane's War online. You'll get to Cloud Inc. As the publisher's name is Cloud Inc. And it's available through their website. Great. And you can also get it digitally uh, through Amazon for Kindle. Um, so there you are. Oh, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Monday Breakfast today, Brendan. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm quite honoured. <laughs> oh, so sweet of you. Um, enjoy the rest of your day in Wellington, and I hope the book keeps selling very successfully. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers. That was Bryn Daniel Weir, the author of Tane's War, a book that is set amidst the battlefields of the Great War, World War I, and the sharing sheds of 1954 Hunua. Um, Bryn Daniel Weir's, it's his debut novel, Tane's War, and it examines the challenges of facing gay men during both wartime and Peace. And as you just heard, it's available at Whitcalls or online if you are in the Dunedin area and wanting to get your hands on that book.